Mark chapter 2. Last week, we began a new series, and it's going to be neat how it works out because um, all of us pastors are really rotating through the series. Series is entitled, Jesus Said What? Jesus Said What? And you think about different things that Jesus said in the Gospels, and you try to figure out why would he say that, or what was the message behind it. We think about Jesus' example And we understand that he was the ultimate example to follow. We know that he had great deeds and great works and he showed love. But what about the statements that he made and what's the surrounding factors and the important elements around that? Last week, Pastor Tyler um, talked about the the parable of the sower and how the seed is, is always right. The message is right, but sometimes our heart just isn't there. It's not right when we receive the seed and receive the word. And I'm thankful for the challenge that he gave us. Today I want to look at the the statement that Jesus made when he said, Arise and take up thy bed. Arise and take up thy bed. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. We'll read a few verses. We'll jump ahead. And uh, we'll mainly stay in Mark, but we'll look at some supporting scripture as well. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 says, And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. I want to stop there. Isn't that exciting that it was noise that Jesus was in the house? You know, I want people in Columbus to know that Jesus is in our house. I want them to know that when they drive by that, man, Fellowship Baptist Church, I've heard Jesus, Jesus is there. Verse 2, and straightway many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. Jesus never wasted an opportunity to share the word with those around him. Verse 3, and and they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Then let's jump down to verse, the end of verse 10, beginning of verse 11. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. My freshman year, I had a friend who was a senior. His name was Josh. Josh was a good buddy of mine, uh, someone who helped me get a job at Wingstop and things like that. Uh, Josh and I, we hung out in a posse. That's kind of what we called ourselves. We were a posse of friends. There was five of us, just enough to fit in a vehicle, and we always hung out together. Josh, one day, was sick. And when I say sick, he had a cold. It wasn't really too serious, but he also had a disease or a sickness called, and I always mess up this word, senioritis. Anyone know what senioritis is? Okay, some of you. Senioritis is kind of a... A sickness that you get mentally when you're at in your senior year of college, senior year of high school, and you're checked out. You are so done with school. You see the finish line. You know it's right there, but you still have projects that are important. You still have reports you got to write. You still have different things you have to go through, final exams. And my buddy Josh, he was just over it. He was so tired of school, and so he called in sick. At the Christian college we went to, you actually had to call in to the dean's office And a lot of times we would use like little fake voices to sound like we're sick when we're not actually sick. So my friend Josh, he did that. Not only did he do it one day, he did it two days. And the rest of the crew, the rest of the posse, we got kind of irritated. Our buddy, he's skipping out on class. We're getting up at 6 a.m. We're going to school. We're going to work that day. We're not getting naps. And he's getting all the naps he wants. And this guy, he's just skipping out. 
And we were a little annoyed by that. So we went to pay Josh a visit. We went to his dorm room and we walk in and sure enough, we find him sleeping, snoring, and he just looks peaceful. He doesn't look too sick. We weren't really filled with the spirit that day. And we came up with a plan to give him a push. And when I say a push, I mean a literal push. We wanted to motivate him a little bit to get out of bed and get back in class, finish out his senior year strong. So the four of us got on one side of his mattress and we got down and we just flipped his mattress. Josh wasn't a huge guy. He's about my height, a little bit heavier than I am, actually a lot heavier than I am. But we were able to push him out of that mattress and he kind of went flying and tumbling in the air, landed on the ground and we ran. Now, it kind of had the same effect as we see in this passage of Scripture because immediately Josh rose up. He didn't grab his mattress and follow us, but he did chase after us. (laughs) Thankfully, we were able to get outside quickly enough, and he wasn't fully clothed, so he wasn't able to get out there. Yeah, I, I never thought I would say, thankfully, a man wasn't fully clothed behind the pulpit, but I did. So thankfully, he wasn't fully clothed that day. We were able to get out of there. And you know, we probably could have been more uh, Christ-like that day. Maybe we should have tried and said, Josh, arise, get out of bed, take it up, come to class, go to work, be healthy. But in our passage of scripture, we find a man that was truly sick. A man that had a serious condition. And his four friends, they were great friends. His friends were amazing friends that instead of giving him a hard time, instead of leaving him in his current condition, they wanted to help him. So much so that they sacrificed in order to take him to Jesus Christ. And when they finally got him to Jesus, they heard Jesus say, Arise and take up thy bed. I'm sure the many people that filled the house thought to themselves, Jesus said what? I'm sure that as they're in the house and the tension rises because of the scribes, and we'll get into all that, and there's some conflict, and I'm sure that the anticipation was mounting and to see if the man would really get up out of bed and he would grab his own bed and walk out. I'm sure maybe the people that lined the streets outside when maybe they started hearing the the murmuring that Jesus said, what? Arise, take up thy bed. I know we're not sitting too close to each other, but just so you can fully understand the series and what direction we're going, I want you to look at someone and just say, Jesus said what? So look at a neighbor and say, Jesus said what? There we go. Ask the question. And the goal each and every week is to answer, why did Jesus say that? So let's look as to why Jesus said, arise and take up thy bed. We're going to look at four important elements surrounding Jesus when he made this statement. Number one, if you're taking notes, there was a blatant need. A blatant need. The man was sick. This man had a disease that could not be cured. Verse 3 And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy. There are various side effects of palsy. It is a disease which could affect one side of your body, causing that body part, that side of your body not to function. Palsy could also affect one member of your body, such as the woman in the New Testament with the withered hand. For this man, it appears that palsy had attacked his body either from the neck down or from the waist down. He was unable to walk. He was unable to crawl. He was unable to function as a normal adult would function. This man was incapable of supporting himself and was totally dependent upon those around him. Now, whether it was these friends that brought him to Jesus that routinely checked on him, whether he had family that took care of him, this man was dependent on others in his life. 
This man was in a bad spot. He needed help. This man needed a cure. This man needed a miracle. This man needed Jesus. In order for a miracle to take place, a miracle has to be needed. In order for Jesus to perform a miracle, there has to be a need for a miracle. A true need has to be present. You see, we're surrounded by people all over Columbus, all over Ohio, the United States, all over the world, that they have a genuine need. They need a miracle. They need Jesus. Ohio, if you don't know, is the nation's overdose capital of the United States. Did you guys know that? One out of nine heroin overdoses is done in the state of Ohio. Not only that, our nation is ripping itself apart with all the hate that is being spewed, the division that we have over politics and races and everything that's going on in our nation today. 50% of marriages end in divorce in the United States today. We need Jesus Christ. The sad thing is we don't see the need when it is so blatant, or we do see the need and we choose to look the other way. John 4.35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. It is so clear that we're surrounded by neighbors, co-workers, classmates, family members, and friends who have a need, and their need is Jesus Christ. How would this man get to Jesus? He's bound to a bed. He's not like the woman who 12 years had the issue of blood that could muster up enough energy to get to Jesus Christ, to push through the crowd to touch him. He couldn't even do that. He's bedridden. This man is paralyzed. He's unable to do so. There was a blatant need, but thankfully this man had believing friends. Believing friends. Let's look at verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. This man was incapable of helping himself, and he was unable to get to the one individual that could help him, Jesus Christ. But he had a group of friends, a group of friends who believed, and a group of friends who loved him enough that they took him to Jesus. I love their determination. Remember in verse 2. In verse 2, if you remember, verse 1, it starts off that it was noised in the, in the area that Jesus was there. In verse 2, the house is full. So their determination comes into effect when they go to the front door and they're carrying this man on his bed and there's no way they're getting in. There's no way that they're going to bring this man to Jesus. But whether they saw uh, maybe a, a, a staircase or whatever form, method they took to get him onto the roof, they were determined that this man would see Jesus. From wall to wall, there were people in so much that people were outside listening to Jesus preach. The friends saw the crowd. They didn't give up. They thought of another way to get their friend to Jesus. Their plan was unusual. Their plan was outside of the box. It actually reminds me of one of our core beliefs that we just hit on over the last couple weeks. We share the gospel in every way we can with everyone we can. That's who we are as Fellowship Baptist Church. That's what we practice. These individuals, they showed determination because they couldn't get to Jesus during the normal method of just the front door. And they determined they would go through the roof. These men had no prejudice. They weren't boxed into one method. They wanted their friend to get to Jesus. 
they came up with an idea to go through the roof in verse 4. They make it up to the roof, and they notice that it's covered. And I, I don't think that it was just covered in the sense, because if we read it in the latter portion of that, the verse says, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. I, I don't know how you are when it comes to God's word, but I take it word for word. I take it pretty literally. And if the Bible says that, you know, it was broken up, I believe that they put work into breaking up the roof. I did some research and what I could find about the different types of roof is there was two types of roofs that were used in this day. One was simply manufactured from beams which crisscrossed and they would lay straws and sticks on top of the beams. And in that instance, they would just be able to uncover the straws and sticks and lower him through. However, the second roof that I found was a roof that was constructed out of overlapping clay tiles. And again, the Bible doesn't say there was clay. The Bible doesn't say there was wood. But the Bible says that it was broken up. And again, I believe that there was some form of clay or stone or some type of at least wood covering that they had to break through in order to lower their friend to Jesus. It was hard enough carrying this sick man on his bed. It got even more difficult when they couldn't get through the front door and they had to carry him to the roof. And it was even harder now that they had to break through the roof to lower their friend to Jesus. Again, they reach an obstacle and again, they don't quit. They overcome it because they believe so much that Jesus can be the change that this man needs. This is also a great picture that we can see here that sometimes in order to see Jesus in our life, we have to break up the clay in our lives. That sometimes when we feel that Jesus is distant and we're not as close to him as we once were, maybe there's sin in our life that needs to be broken up. Once the roof was broken and the roof was gone, they could look down and see Jesus. And in your life, maybe some clay needs broken up today. These friends showed true belief. Too often we know the truth, but too often we don't share the truth. We know that God created the world. We know that God sent his son to die for the sins of mankind. We know that we can accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior and we can go to heaven. But how often do we share that with others? Either our belief and faith in Jesus is weak or we just don't care. Either your faith in Jesus Christ is weak or you just don't care about those around you. What is holding you back? We all have friends who are hurting. We have friends who are depressed, friends who are questioning what the truth about God is. We have friends who are searching for answers. We have friends who feel like no one cares about them or no one loves them. And we all have the answer. The answer is Jesus. The answer to this man's sickness was Jesus. And the answer always was and always will be Jesus Christ. Verse 5 is so powerful because Jesus saw their faith, as you see on the screen. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. The faith of the friends stood out. Remember, these men, they weren't married to one method. Their first idea to bring their friend to Jesus, again, was the front door. That method did not work, so they went through the roof. And in our era, we have seen methods after methods change. Haven't we? When it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's method after method changes, but the answer, the, the, the message that we preach never changes, which is Jesus. You see, we don't have to have a, spe a specific time slot in order to 
um, share Jesus Christ with others. It doesn't have to be a church-coordinated event in order to share Jesus with others. I want to challenge you in three ways that you can share Jesus. One is you can live it. You can be a light to Christ with your actions. Be kind to others. Show love and compassion. In a country filled with so much hate, just showing a little love will go a long way. This past week, I was in Dollar Tree with Pastor Dave, and we were getting some supplies for our events on Wednesday. And there was a young man a couple spots in front of us in line, and he tried to pay for his stuff. Um, he had a few things in his hand, and unfortunately, his card got declined. As You don't have to raise your hand, but we all have probably been there at one point in our life where we just didn't have enough to cover it. Pastor Dave and I were talking, and I was sharing with him something in my past where I didn't have enough money to cover something. And right away, he went up there, and he paid for the individual's merchandise that they could not afford. The lady behind him just began weeping, began crying uncontrollably. She hadn't witnessed love like that in a long time. She saw someone else show compassion, someone else show love in that circumstance. Love will go a long way. Jude 22 says, and of some having compassion, making a difference. You can live it, and then you can voice it. I did some research, and a recent survey done by LifeWay states that 67% of Americans say a personal invitation from a family member would be effective in getting them to visit a church. 67% of people of Americans say that if my family member invites me to church, I will feel compelled, I will feel encouraged to go to church. Not only that, but 63% of Americans say that if I was invited by a friend, a personal invitation from a friend, I would be encouraged to go to a church. All of us have family. All of us have friends that we can invite. They're just waiting to hear. Romans ten fourteen says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? People can't believe if they haven't heard. And they can't hear unless you tell them. I remember just our winter retreat a couple weeks ago. We had a, a first-time visitor that's never come, come to any type of uh, church service. He did come to a teen activity. He's a co-worker of Jordan and Zach. They both work at Kroger and Canal. So if you would like your uh, groceries bagged and you want it double bagged and triple bagged and quadruple bagged, I always give them a hard time when I'm there and I don't tip them. So it's great. I love it. And I, I, I went there and Jordan and Zach, they invited their friend uh, Demetrius who was saved at the winter retreat. He was someone that didn't grow up in church. He's someone um, that was new to environment. And at 3.30 on Sunday night, he went to one of our workers and said, hey, I understand who God is. I've just never invited him to my heart, and I want to accept Christ. And he would have never came if these young men, and I'm not sure who did the most of the encouraging, but if they didn't live it at work, and then if they didn't voice it, if they didn't invite him to come, and I'm excited for Demetrius. He'll be baptized next week. So make sure you congratulate him and his decision to follow Christ. People have a need and we have the answer. You can live it, you can voice it, and you can share it. How many of you have Facebook? Don't lie. A lot of you. Okay. How many of you have Instagram? Not as many hands. How many of you have Twitter? Okay. I know that a lot of you older folks give us millennials and teenagers a hard time about cell phone usage and about Facebook. But recently, as recently as last week, a survey done by Bloomberg.com 
states that Americans from the age of 35 to 49, there's quite a few of you in here, on average spend six hours and 58 minutes a week on Facebook. So the age of 35 to 49, you spend six hours and 58 minutes a week on Facebook. 35 and under, my age group, use Facebook on average of six hours and 27 minutes So some of the teenagers are happy right now. They're like, yeah, I have stats to back up my argument with mom and dad that they're on Facebook more than me. And then people 50 years and older use it four hours a week, and they're normally just sending out annoying game invites and making awkward statements on Facebook. Just kidding. But that does happen sometimes by my grandpa. But they use it four hours a week. So what does this tell me? This tells me that we can reach people through social media, that we can share it. How many of you know that Fellowship Baptist Church has a Facebook page? Great. How many of you actually like the Facebook page? Good. Now, if you keep up with the Facebook page, you would be aware that there's opportunities to share events. I think back to our trick-or-treat that we did in October, and a lot of us shared the event, and the community got involved, and we had hundreds, I don't know the exact number, but we had hundreds of kids here. We've had fruit from that with teenagers in the youth group and people in the church. Easter's a big event that's coming up that you can share. Not only that, but Richard does a great job at noticing different points in the messages and statements that were made that are powerful and life-changing. Normally, they don't come from my messages, and he shares those throughout the week, and this is all stuff that you can share. Facebook has enough negativity, Let's be positive. Facebook divides so much. Why don't we unify? Facebook is dark. Let's be a light. There are so many practical ways that you can live it, you can voice it, that you can share Jesus Christ with others. These men, they possess great faith and great love for their friend. There was a blatant need. Thankfully, they had believing friends. And thirdly, there were some bad attitudes. Bad attitudes. Let's look at verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? Located in this house were the scribes. The scribes were those who copied the scripture, the Old Testament. They copied it so much that they became biblical scholars. In their hearts, they began questioning the work of Jesus Christ. They understood that only God could be the one that could actually forgive sins. And they did not believe that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. In their hearts, they had bad attitudes. Instead of rejoicing that Jesus is about to change this man's life, instead of being happy that he has friends around him that care enough about him to physically carry him to Jesus and lower him through a roof, instead of getting excited that they're about to see Jesus perform a miracle, they're filled with doubt, they're filled with envy, and they're filled with bad attitudes. May we as a church never reach a point that we tire of seeing God work. May we never reach a point that as a church that we don't get excited when a teenager gets saved, that we don't get excited when two girls get baptized, that we don't get excited to hear the report that we had nine first-time riders on the buses. May we not be that church. May we never say that our church is getting too big, but may we thank God that he has added to our family. 
May we not complain that a visitor took our seat, but rather let's rejoice that we have a visitor in our seat. We have opportunities to praise God. We began with a man who had a blatant need. He had believing friends. There was bad attitudes. And lastly, there was beautiful results. Beautiful results. Jesus blesses those who display faith in him. The man was challenged by Jesus to now stand up and take his bed and walk. Can you imagine the tension that's probably filling the room? The scribes are tense because Jesus has just challenged him and said, I will show you that I am God. Is it easier for me to forgive sins or to make the man walk? And he's about to do both. The paralyzed man was tense because he's probably wondering if Jesus would really heal him. The crowd was tense because they sensed the tension of everyone else. The men on the roof are tense because this has been an all-day journey and they're tired. The man that owns the house is probably tense because his roof is shattered and he doesn't know if insurance is going to cover it. There's tension everywhere. The only one not tense was Jesus. Because Jesus had perfect peace when he said, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately... He arose, verse 12, and immediately he arose. He took up the bed. He went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Jesus did the miraculous for this man. I love that last phrase, we never saw it on this fashion. Jesus does things that we've never seen. Jesus will continue to do things that we can't even imagine because Jesus is all-powerful. But before Jesus healed him physically, more importantly, he healed him spiritually. Let's go back to verse 5 when he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. You see, what good would it have done if Jesus healed this man who was paralyzed and he had two whole legs, but he walked right into hell? Jesus Christ took care of his spiritual sickness. He called him son in verse 5, which indicates that he is now part of the family of God. The word son brought him into the family. The word forgiven or forgiveness brought him into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Son brought him into the family and forgiveness brought him into fellowship. Yes, the statement that was made that we're looking at is arise and take up thy bed. But the true life-changing statement was son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Warren Wiersbe said, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. On the outside of the house, one would assume that the greatest miracle done in that home today was that the man could get up and carry his bed. Could you imagine the crowd that was pressed to the door that maybe lined the streets to hear Jesus? They saw this man minutes, hours before being carried. And now they see him walking out, carrying his own bed. And in their minds, they probably thought, wow, Jesus did something miraculous today, which he did. Physically, he did. But even more so spiritually, the forgiveness that he offered, the guilt that he had taken away, the sin that he had washed clean, the eternal life that he had given to this man was the true miracle. The blessings received were far more than just the ability to walk and the miracle of physical healing. Jesus provided spiritual healing as well as physical healing. This man is in heaven today because of the faith of his friends to take him to Jesus and because of his personal faith to accept Jesus Christ. 
Arise, take up thy bed. It's a powerful statement. It's a statement that changed this man's life. Jesus was able to say this statement because there was a need. Because there was believing friends. There was conflict with the bad attitudes, but it ended in beautiful results. With salvation. With the man being physically healed. And today I want to challenge you to live it, to voice it, to share Jesus with others.